Well, it is a blessing to have each of you with us today as we celebrate Christ and the resurrection. And uh, before I actually get into the message while these guys are taking everything down for a few moments, I want to take a moment and just kind of say thanks to a few individuals. Often I get recognized because I'm the preacher who stands up in front of y'all, but um, individuals like Daly, uh, she puts so much work into the worship every week, uh, typically for two different services, and it's an incredible blessing uh, to have someone like that on the team who really works very, very hard. Nobody would ever know it except for when someone actually points it out. Daly, thank you for all the hard work you do, and I know that there are many others who help you, but thank you very much. I'll also say that there are others that serve as well. Derek is almost always in the sound booth. Lee and Amy both serve so capably with our youth. And Aaron is normally with the children, but he is in Las Vegas doing a fundraiser for the children's ministry. I don't know. Actually, he's there for a wedding. I'm kidding. Um, uh, I was asked if I would just mention, as I get started, if there are any children that would like to go to Children's Church. Deb Nodine is running the children's ministry tonight, and she, or today, and she will do a fantastic job. Uh, but they're right outside this door to your right, so if you'd like to be a part of that, if you're kids, we would love to have them as a part of that. Hey, let me uh, share with you something that happened to me. This was uh, about four years ago, and I know that some of this... Uh, Actually, it's almost too good to be true, but about four years ago, I was in a psych ward and um, visiting. I was visiting a psych ward, um, and if you've ever been in a psych ward, you know that it's probably about the least comfortable place for you to ever be. Nobody wants to be there. Uh, it actually reminded me a lot of what prison is like. I've visited there, too. I haven't actually been there, um, but... As you walk in, every door you have to be buzzed in. And as soon as you get through that door, you hear it lock behind you. And then you go to another door and you have to be buzzed in and you hear it lock again behind you. Basically, as you go in, you know there is no way you're getting out of this place quickly. If there is any type of emergency, you are just there. Well, I was there to visit one of the ladies from our church. She had been an incredibly faithful member of our church and was simply going through a, a really difficult nervous breakdown. Um, she was having serious panic attacks to the point that she could no longer function. And she had admitted herself into this psych ward. So as I get up on the floor where she's at, the nurse has already moved her to a room to where I could have some counseling time with her. I walk in and of course I begin to greet her and ask her how she's doing. And uh, her response is, I'm okay, pastor, but I don't know if I can handle being around all these crazy people. We're in a psych ward. What did you expect to have in the psych ward with you? Um, so we begin to talk, and all of a sudden it happens. The fire alarm goes off. Now, remember those doors that you cannot get out quickly? Remember the fact that you're in a psych ward where people are having panic attacks? I cannot think of a worse place to be during a fire alarm. About that time, as all the patients are running out of their rooms, screaming, some of them waving their arms, the nurse steps up from the desk. She says, no, it's okay. They're just testing the system. They were testing me. Uh, that wasn't about testing the system. I was there for an hour, and by the time I left, they had tested the system four more times, and each time everyone would go into a panic. I will tell you, I was ready to get out of that psych ward. Um, have you ever felt like you were surrounded by a bunch of crazy people? 
the reality is, according to statistics, one in three people in America have some type of mental disorder. One in three. Now, to help illustrate that for you for just a moment, look to the person on your right. Now look to the person on your left. If you can look at one of those individuals and say, you know what, that's the one. I get it. But here's the problem. If you looked beside you and they're normal and they're normal, it's probably you. Okay. The reality is that we live in a crazy world where there's all kinds of crazy things that go on around us. And there are times that we want so much to get out of the craziness, to, to be able to break free from it. When in reality, sometimes we need just a little bit of that crazy. We're going to look at a passage here, and Richard read a little bit of it to you earlier, where it talks about some of the crazy things that were happening leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. You say, why are we talking about Lazarus? See, there's crazy things happening all over the place. You say, why are we talking about Lazarus and his resurrection when in reality today is not about Lazarus, it's about Christ and his resurrection? The reason is simple. See, Jesus Christ in many ways laid a foundation even before his resurrection took place. He made it so possible for people to believe that it was possible to break free, to do something different from what was normal. Jesus Christ in this story takes a very crazy situation and he, set, he begins the process of setting people free. If you would, if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can turn to the same passage that Richard read in John chapter 11, but we're going to begin in verse 21 this time, and I think he read a little bit later in the passage, but it says this, obviously, by the way, he has come and uh, Lazarus was sick. Does everyone remember this story? I just assume everybody does, but I just thought, let me, let me make sure everybody knows. Lazarus was sick. Jesus was out preaching. Jesus hears word that his friend is sick. Would you come and heal him? By the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus is dead. So he is greeted here by Martha. And this is what it says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. As we look at this passage, there are several things that are incredibly valuable to us. The first thing that I want you to see here is that Martha wanted Jesus to change her circumstance. She wanted him to change the circumstance, but there's a little bit of beating around the bush that takes place here. First of all, know she is very broken. Now, Mary and Martha, we think of them as very positive influences uh, in the New Testament story. They seem to really have it together. They sort of had a pretty good comprehension of who Jesus was. But on this particular, particular occasion, Martha is broken. And I think all of us can kind of understand why she's broken. Her brother is dead. Along with that, 
there is a sense of almost blame. As I look at the statement that she makes to Jesus, basically, if you had been here, I know my brother would still be alive. That sounds really encouraging, but there's also an underhanded message that's in there. Lord, where were you? You're out there helping all these other people. You're out there healing people and you're teaching really good things. But here we are back home and my brother got sick and he died. And there's a sense of blame that's being offered to Jesus. I will tell you, first of all, that we serve a God and his shoulders are very big. And he doesn't necessarily rebuke her for her response to him. But instead, he understands her brokenness. He understands the fact that this is a woman who is hurting in this moment. Well, she also not only is hurting, not only is she sort of blaming him, she follows it up with a really quick statement. It's a statement that simply says, but even now I know that you could do whatever you want to do. The Father will give you whatever you ask. What she's saying here is, Lord, do you think you could maybe raise Lazarus from the dead? She doesn't want to ask the question. And I ask myself, why doesn't she just simply say, Lord, would you raise my brother from the dead? And I wonder if it isn't simply because of the amount of brokenness she experienced. Maybe she was so broken and angry and bitter, it was hard to simply ask the question, Lord, help me. You know, so often we get blinded by our bitterness and our hurt and the pain and the brokenness. And we somehow, it's as if we can find comfort in having to handle this by ourselves. But the best place she could turn was specifically to Jesus Christ. She was a broken woman. You know what, I wonder if there aren't other broken people here today. Maybe it's not because you've had a loved one who has died, but I wonder if maybe we could understand a little bit of Martha's mentality. Lord, I've been faithful to you. I've been there. I've done the things that you asked me to do. You say that you can do all of these things. You've done great things in other places, but how could you let this happen in my life? Almost to the point that we blame him for things that it's just a part of living in a fallen world. In Martha's case, she had the opportunity. She very easily could have asked Jesus to do a great thing, but instead she sort of beats around the bush about it. Interesting thing about Martha is that everything she says to Jesus is correct. Had Jesus been there, he could have stopped Lazarus from dying. Jesus had already proven that. He had already healed people over and over and over again. There was no limit to what he could do. She was right. And even now, Anything you ask of your father, it will be done. Again, she was right. She knew who he was. She knew the things that were possible. But she didn't want to talk theology with Jesus. She didn't want to talk about the far off resurrection that it seemed as though Jesus was alluding to. She wanted her brother to be raised to life right now. But she never gets to the point. I wonder how many of us are like Martha. We know that Jesus is our greatest hope, but we fail to come before him, explicitly asking him to move on our behalf. Maybe another way to look at this is to connect her two statements together. Maybe she wanted to seek God's help, 
but she was still too busy blaming him to be able to ask. How about you? What keeps you from coming before the Lord? Is it anger? Pride? Maybe shame from your past or stubbornness, afraid that God might ask you to do something in return for his response to you? Know that God sees your brokenness. It's actually in the same passage we're told that uh, as Jesus saw the women crying, in the shortest verse of scripture we're told Jesus wept. He saw their brokenness. He knew who they were. He knew what they were going through. And he loved them very much. I want to skip down to verse 41 because this is to me where the story turns from sadness to excitement. Lazarus has been dead for about four days. That's a long time. Family and friends have already come to pay their respects. And uh, by now, the body has begun to decay. So he's been placed in a sealed tomb, but Jesus orders them to open up the tomb. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to smell a dead body. Actually, Martha didn't either. Martha's first response is to remind him of the smell. Lord, it's been four days. By now, his body stinks. But it's as if suddenly she realizes what's happening. Think back to Jesus' first miracle. You remember he was at a wedding feast? And as he was at this wedding feast, they run out of wine. And his mom, Mary, says, well, you know, I think Jesus can do something about it. So she goes to Jesus and says, hey, they've run out of wine. Can you fix their problem? And then immediately she turns to the servants and says, you do whatever he tells you to do. I wonder if in this situation, Martha, she's sitting here and she's thinking to herself, this is dumb. It stinks. There's no way we should open up that tomb. And all of a sudden this thought. Do whatever he tells you to do, because this is in your best interest, and you just need to obey. Remember, she didn't want to get into a theology debate. He starts talking about uh, the, the resurrection that's to come, and she even recognizes, yes, I know that you are the, the Messiah. You are uh, the Son of God. Come to us. She didn't want to argue with him about anything. All of a sudden, she realized the best thing for her to do, just shut up and let him do what he needs to do. Suddenly something clicks in Martha and she thinks, I'll do whatever he tells me. Look at verse 41 to 44. It says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. What an amazing story that is. What an amazing time that must have been for this family. Now remember, he's already seen Mary and Martha and the other women weeping to the point that Jesus begins to weep alongside them. Can you imagine the darkness that was there and all of a sudden the incredible light that was there? Their brother was dead and now he is alive. The celebration that must have taken place would have been amazing. This guy stunk. People knew he was dead. 
We're actually told later on, if we were to continue to read in this passage, that many of the people believed in Jesus Christ simply because of this act that takes place with Lazarus. Think about it. You went to go visit him. You knew that he was dead. You paid your respects. You smelled the body. He was dead. There was no question. He didn't pass out. This guy was dead. And now you see him walking around. Now you see him alive. Can you understand how big this event truly was? It's interesting. As Jesus begins to speak to the Father, He actually starts by identifying the fact that the father hears him. He says, I thank you that you have heard me. But then he explains why he said that. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of other people who are standing near me. Know that God is always concerned with other people. In this particular instance... He is already going to resolve the issue for Mary, for Martha, and for Lazarus. We know that. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But his concern is not merely for a few individuals, but for all of humanity. God is very concerned about the broken people in our lives. He didn't come just for those who are healthy. He came for those who are sick. He came for the crazy people in the psych ward. He came for the broken. The highlight has to be the resurrection of Lazarus. He was dead and he was made alive. The same God who breathed life into mankind all the way back in the book of Genesis is the same God who would restore life to this one who had been dead. In like manner, we who are spiritually dead are offered the opportunity to be brought from death to life. In this, we are given the promise of eternal life. But I want you to notice something about Lazarus. In his case, the gift of life was not something that was far off in the distance. It's not something that would happen 20 years, 30 years down the road. It was immediate. He was dead, and now he is alive. It would have been foolish for him to lay around and act like a dead person for the rest of his life. He is alive, so he should act like he's alive. Likewise, as we are brought into life with Christ, we must know that new life does not begin at our funeral. It begins now. If you are alive in Christ, then live like it. Act like you're a child of God who's been redeemed, who's been made whole. Don't don't live like this because it's Easter Sunday or because it's a Sunday and you're supposed to be in church and then live completely different Monday through Saturday. Live tomorrow like you have been made alive. Live Tuesday like you have been made alive. For you are made alive in Christ Jesus. When his spirit comes to dwell in you, As you confess your sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He will take that which is dead and restore it to life. And that begins now. The moment we surrender our lives to him, we are made new. We become new creations in our hymn. In our passage, Jesus says, take off the grave clothes. 
I wonder what kind of grave clothes you need to remove. What are the things that once identified your death? I'm talking about your spiritual death. You need to get rid of them. For some of us, it was our pride. For some of us, it was a sexually immoral behavior. For some of us, it's this, this idea that we cannot be honest, people of integrity. There are all kinds of things that have identified us in our death. Those are things that we've done. You know what? Sometimes the things that define us aren't things that we've done, but things other people have done to us. Someone broke my heart, and therefore I'm identified by that. Someone was unfaithful to me, and therefore I'm identified by that. Somebody said something that they shouldn't have said to me, and therefore I am identified by that. No. I am a child of God, and I have been redeemed, and I am not the same person that I was before. And therefore, I am no longer going to be labeled by the grave clothes that need to be taken off. I am alive. And the same thing must be true for each one of us today. I have one last thing that I want to share with you this morning. And it comes from a completely different passage, but it says something that is so appropriate for us this Easter morning. I can't get it out of my mind or I wouldn't even be sharing it with you. It comes from the book of Job in chapter 19, specifically in verse 25, where Job declares, he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth. This verse seems very appropriate today as we celebrate the fact that our Redeemer, Christ, lives. But this verse is a little bit out of place. We think of Job as a God-fearing man who endured incredible hardship and eventual blessing, but I think we typically see him as a good man. So here's my question. Why would someone so good need to be redeemed? Think about it. A redeemer is one who sets another free, one who brings deliverance to one who is trapped, perhaps a slave. They redeem them by paying the price for them so that they can go free. Do you mean that Job, a good man, still needed a redeemer? The answer is absolutely yes. You see, the truth is that all of us need a redeemer. We look at the brokenness of our world and we see all the crazy people around us and we're afraid that they're going to drive us crazy. And somehow we perceive ourselves as being different from them. But we are just as broken as them. This past Friday, as a part of our Good Friday service, uh, actually Joyce got to help me out and the two of us stayed up at the front uh, pretty much the whole time and we got to serve communion to probably 50 or 60 people from the church. I'm going to tell you, it's an incredible blessing to be able to do something like that. But one of the things that we noted, we got to talk about it a little bit in between individuals coming in, was how broken the people are that come to church. You see, on Sunday morning, we all look nice. We wear our suits and put the makeup on and everybody looks at us and they think, now that's a good man of God or a good woman of God. That person's got everything together. Their life is perfect. Man, I wish I could be like them. 
But in that smaller setting, individuals would come up and they would begin to share some of the things that were going on. You had one who had a family member who right now is in a physical crisis. You had one who husband is fighting kidney disease right now. You had several that are grieving the loss of a spouse. You had one whose family is simply falling apart. You know, the brokenness that is there may look different, but every one of us comes with some form of brokenness. And the only place that we can find any healing or redemption is going to be in Jesus Christ. It's interesting as Job makes this declaration, I know that my Redeemer liveth. I wonder who he was talking about. I know, I'm looking at it thousands of years later. He's talking about Jesus, but Jesus hadn't yet come. So when he makes this declaration, I know that my Redeemer liveth. How did he know that Jesus Christ would be our Redeemer? I don't know that he fully got, I don't know that he fully understood what he was saying. But I do know this, he was right. I want you to know today that whatever your brokenness looks like, Jesus Christ is the only one who can redeem you and make things right. He is the only one that can take that brokenness and he can make you whole again. He's the only one who can make you a true new creation. He tells us to take the grave clothes off. Let me share one verse with you, and it's the last thing I'll share. It's, It's the opposite. Don't just take off sin, put this on. Revelation 3, 5 says, The one who is victorious will be dressed in white, and I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Know today that God has called you to put off sin, to put off your grave clothes, but he is offering you something beautiful to put on in place of that. He is offering you to be made pure and right with him. I'm going to ask if everyone in here would simply bow your heads and close your eyes. I know that Easter is a day many of us come to church just because of it's Easter. Maybe today you are here because God wants you to put off your grave clothes. And he wants you to leave whatever sin you've been holding on to to leave it behind. Maybe he wants you to put on new white robes. He wants to make you pure and holy today. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst. Lord, we know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. You've been so gracious to us. The mere fact that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, to pay the price for our sin, so that truly we could know a redeemer, one who paid our price. But we celebrate what you've done. But we celebrate even more than that, that that was not the end of your story. For three days later, very early in the morning, you woke up. The resurrection took place. And we as humanity found hope that did not exist prior. 
Lord, today I pray that each one of us would truly know what the resurrection means in our lives. Some of us have been identified by our grave clothes, things that they shouldn't have identified us, but for some reason we've allowed them to. Some of them have been our own choices, things that we've done that we knew we weren't supposed to do, but we did them anyways. Others, things that people did to us, and it hurt. But I don't want to be identified by my past anymore. I want to be identified by you. Lord, I pray that you would enable us right now to remove the grave clothes and to truly put on your garments, your beauty, your purity, your cleansing. With every head bowed and eye close, perhaps you would say today, Pastor, I really, I need to put off my grave clothes. I've, I've remained in sin for too long and it's time for me to be set free. And I want God to set me free today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now and then put it right back down? Thank you. Thank you. Father, for the handful of people that just raised their hands, Lord, I pray that you would bring forgiveness as only you can bring. Lord, I pray right now that as they confess their sins, that you would make them new that you would take their sin and you would cast it into the sea of your forgetfulness, never to be held against them again. I pray that from this moment forward, they would not be identified by who they've been, but by who they are and where they're going, for they are your children. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit, and I pray that you would help them to become almost a reflection of who you are. Lord, I pray that you'd move in them. Help us each one as we continue this day of worship and celebration to truly celebrate what this day is about. It's about you. Make us your resurrected living creation. And we'll celebrate what you do in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand and join us. We're going to close this morning service with a song. It's called Come to the Altar. And it's a great song about truly where all of us can go at any point to celebrate and to find peace and comfort from him. I will also remind you that if you do not have a church home, we would love to have you come back on a regular Sunday. Normally we do a service at 10 and 1130. It's been so good to have all of us come together as one one body of believers coming to worship and celebrate a risen Savior. Uh, join us as we sing together, Come to the Altar.